Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Thanks so much for coming, and thanks Esther and others uh, visiting tonight. It's great to have you. Uh, and a great message to, to, to come along. We're um, concluding our series in How to Church. We've been traveling through 1 Corinthians chapters 11 through to 14 uh, and, and unpacking Paul's instructions of how to church together, how to gather, how to worship, how to come together in God's name and, um, and do church. Uh, last week, we... Uh, looked at um, 1 Corinthians 12 and the spiritual gifts and what's the purpose of spiritual gifts? Why does God give us gifts to use in the church? Can anyone remember the answer to the question I gave? So what's the purpose of spiritual gifts? Yeah, I heard of something. It's There's not a fair test. It was actually quite a long sentence. <laughs> um, uh, but we heard it. Uh, glorify God, build up the church. That what The response I... Uh, gave or what we found from 1 Corinthians 12 is the purpose of spiritual gifts is to glorify God by empowering Christians to serve the church through a diversity of gifts and abilities given by the same spirit so that as the body of Christ, every person matters and has something to give. That's the purpose of spiritual gifts. Now we look at uh, the nature. How do we use them in the church? Looking at a couple of specific gifts. But as we begin, there's an important question to ask is, and that is, is the more um, phenomenal, the more miraculous gifts for today? Uh, the miracle of healing, the miracles of uh, uh, tongues, the miracles of prophecy, should we expect to see those kind of gifts today? Yes, we, we've got some responses. It was a rhetorical question, but I'll take answers. That's good. Um, it is a question that is, is discussed and debated in Christian circles. And uh, kind of, you know, the two sides of that debate, there's uh, those who argue that those kind of supernatural gifts have ceased. They're cessationist. Uh, or there's those who say those kind of gifts uh, continue. Those who say it ceased, it ceased at the end of the apostolic age after the church was established in, in the first century with the apostles. Um, so they don't deny gifts. They just say they're not around today. Um, but I'm not a cessationist. I do believe that the spiritual gifts are for today. I kind of grew up in a, um, uh, probably like a, I might call it a functional cessationist church. Like they wouldn't say they don't believe it, but um, but we just never saw any of that. Like never saw any miracles, never saw any miraculous things. So we just never talked about it, really. It was a faithful church preaching the gospel. Just those kind of things were never talked about. Then I was involved with a cessationist church for a little bit, um, which was fine. Great stuff uh, being taught there. All through this time, I, I was involved in other Christian ministries and things where I saw uh, miracles, miraculous healings, and I, I heard and, and saw things. So um, last year, one of my final assignments I had to do address the question, are the miraculous spiritual gifts for today? So I went looking a bit deeper and kind of unpacked some of the problems with both perspectives. One, one of the problems with those who believe the spiritual gifts are for today is 
we don't really see them. In the Western church, we don't see that many miraculous things. Uh, so that, you know, that, that experience uh, leads us to, to read Scripture and, and to reflect on it in a certain way. When there are miraculous gifts, all oh, that must be for then and not for now. Now, the problem with cessationists, cessationism, I'm not sure if that's a word, is that we do see supernatural gifts. We do see supernatural things. Uh, and and uh, the whole question is actually a very Western question. Like I'm sure Esther could tell us many different stories of powerful, miraculous things happening. And all throughout the, the Eastern church, it's, it's happening all the time. And so it's not even a question to ask. And that raises is it the, the, the issue is, or if we're not seeing miraculous gifts, why is that in the West? Is there something blocking that or distracting that? Something more going on. But it's all to say, we won't go into that, but that's all to say, I, I do believe that the, the sensational, the phenomenal, the, the miraculous gifts are for today. Gifts like uh, tongues, the gift of tongues, and the gift of prophecy. And they are the two gifts uh, that Paul addresses and talks about in detail in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, and, uh, and, and again, like just to share my experience with tongues, I, I don't speak in tongues or I haven't uh, been given that gift yet. I've uh, certainly know lots of people who, who have that gift and use it, and, and I think use it appropriately. Um, I haven't personally been part of a church that has used uh, tongues publicly in a, in a manner that we'll talk about a bit later. But I have seen how uh, that gift can be sensationalized, and I have seen how that gift has been used inappropriately. Um, and I have also seen and heard people saying that you have to have that gift if you're a Christian. And that's just not true. We heard uh, last week, do all speak in tongues? No, Paul says that. He addresses that. No. Um, but there, it's a gift that can be abused. And same as prophecy. Um, that's a gift that can be abused. People who take the mantle of prophet and say, God is telling me to, to say to you this or, or whatever, and actually lead people away from his will or even lead churches and communities into cult territory. And, and, and like that gift can be abused as well. We've, we've all seen that. And so uh, Paul is addressing tongues and prophecy because the Corinthian church was abusing those gifts as well. And so that's why he wants to address them. Before we uh, jump into the passage, I do want to share uh, definitions. Like let's, let's clarify what we're talking about because tongues and prophecy could mean a whole range of different things. Um, in terms of the gift of tongues, the spiritual gift of tongues, there's a few different options or interpretations of what that could actually be. Um, some uh, biblical scholars say that the gift of tongues was an unintelligible language or a static speak, like babbling, and, um, and that there was no inherent meaning or, or message to it. It was just you know, static speech. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's a, a helpful interpretation of what the gift is because there's also the gift of interpretation. So there must be some sort of meaning behind tongues. 
There's also um, people who say it's a ritualistic or liturgical utterances, or like some random phrase that people repeated. Um, but again, that doesn't really fit with uh, what Paul says in, in the passages we'll see. Um, uh, there's also uh, the miraculous, people will say it's the miraculous power to speak other languages. And we see uh, the best example of that in Acts chapter 2, where the apostles, after they receive the Holy Spirit, they begin to speak in other languages, languages they couldn't possibly have known otherwise. And all these uh, people from nations all around the Mesopotamia area came and, and heard the apostle preaching in their own language all at the same time. And so there was that that the 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 gift of the tongues at that point was the ability to speak other languages. Of course, tongue, the Greek for tongue is uh, glossalia, which is the same word to to refer to languages. Uh, so the um, so is it the power to speak other languages? But then again, as we jump into the passage, we'll see that that doesn't re- that that version of the gift doesn't really fit what Paul's talking about in chapter fourteen, because Paul says. When you speak in tongues, you're speaking to God and uh, not to other people and other, you know, in the language that they will receive. So the, the, other, um, uh, the other case is it's a specific angelic language, like perhaps the, the language that we're all going to speak in the new creation or, um, or the language that God speaks to the Trinity and or to angels. And, and we get that, that idea from 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels but have not love, it's meaningless, it's worthless. And so is, is tongue speaking in that angelic language? Uh, that's, that's quite possible, quite probable. Another um, thought is, is uh, in, in moments of um, intense worship and, and an emotional um, connection with God, we just we just lose the ability to 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 sh- say to Him and to share and to think and what we're thinking. But we we get to the point that we can't say anymore, we can't pray anymore, and the Spirit takes over and and um, groans uh, outwardly from within us, um, sighs too deep for words. Romans eight. 26 and 27 says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. So the Spirit taking over and praying the prayer that we couldn't pray ourselves uh, and, and speaking to God, praising God in that way. And so, uh, so tongues is, is some version of one of those things. I think probably a combination of, of uh, certainly the last three, um, there's there is the tongue of speaking other languages, uh, and even just the more natural way of some people are just gifted with languages, can learn multiple languages. There's cases of people who have miraculously learned or been given languages to to speak to other nations, but then there's also an angelic language or this idea of the spirit taking over and praying on our behalf, um, and that coming from within us and talking to. God. So tongues um, is the Christians speaking to God with a language they don't understand, which the church uh, can hear for encouragement when it's interpreted. And we'll see that in a bit. Prophecy, on the other hand, is, uh, is God speaking to the church through his people. Um, in Deuteronomy 
18 in the Old Testament, God raises, uh, talks to Moses about the prophet he will raise up. He will raise up for them a prophet like you from among uh, the, their brothers. And I will put my words, God will put his words in that prophet's mouth and he shall speak them to all, uh, all that I command him. So it's uh, a prophet is someone who speaks God's word. And in the Old Testament, that was often uh, around uh, calling Israel or the people of God to return to the covenant and to repent and return to God. In the New Testament, it seems often to calling Christians to persevere. And sometimes there's a future telling component, and that's usually around warnings or uh, encouragements. But the, the main thing is about communicating God's truth and, and sharing God's voice into a situation. And it can be spontaneous, uh, or it can be from, um, the, from, the, from the, the result of deep study and prayer and preparation. Uh, it can be shared in a range of different medium. It can be uh, spoken words like I'm doing right now, or it can be done uh, through, through art, as we've, we've heard and seen, and even you, know, you reflect on um, what's on the wall right now and how that reflects um, on the state of the church and the journey I, th- I feel like this church is going through. Uh, there's powerful ways that God's, God can communicate through people, through prophetic uh, uh, voices and prophetic art. And so... As it says on the screen, the, the simple way of thinking about it is tongues is Christians speaking to God. Prophecy is God speaking to Christians. Now, let's see how this has worked out in the passage. If you have a Bible, open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and the first five verses. Paul is in, reiterating this instruction uh, from 1 Corinthians 13, uh, about love. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of spirit uh, of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, for their encouragement, and for comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies or builds up themselves, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so the church may be edified, may be built up. So we see uh, this worked out in the passage. Uh, People who speak in tongues, they're speaking to God. And, and people who, who are prophesying are speaking to people, speaking to the church. The one who speaks in tongues is edifying themselves, building up, encouraging themselves as part of their own intimate relationship with God. The one who prophesies is building up the church, encouraging and building up the church. But tongues can build up the church as well if there's an interpretation that comes, which is also a gift from God, a supernatural, if we think about, think about tongues like that, gift from God. So tongue uh, is, is about God. It's, it's about uh, this speaking to God or the God praying through us, the Spirit praying through us to God. 
uh, and it's they're taking over us in worship to express what we can't comprehend, what we're unable to express. So that when a tongue is interpreted, uh, it's not about us. The message of a tongue isn't about us, or it's not even a, a message for the church or an instruction. Someone brings a tongue and the instruction, the interpretation comes and says, you know, you need to do this or the church needs to do that. Well, that's not what Paul considers a tongue or, or the purpose of a tongue. A tongue is about God, about being God praise, about praying um, to, to God and, and what, what that brings. And so Paul continues and he talks about tongues and the importance of interpretation by bringing four analogies for uh, the use of tongues in, in the church. And so the first, uh, well, let's, let's read it from uh, verse 6 through to 19. Now, brothers and sisters, If I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as a pipe or a harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker. And the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. We'll pause there, actually. So he uses four analogies. The first is uh, instruments that need a distinct note. And for this, Tim, I'll use the piano to demonstrate this. Who can pick what tune this is? And I haven't time to practice another tune, so if anyone was here in the morning, you can't answer. That's a good guess. No. Amazing grace, how sweet. There you go. Yeah. You can't distinguish the song. You can't tell what the song is without distinguishing notes. There needs to be some meaning and distinction and, 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 and like information there. Same as the second analogy in verse 8, a trumpet call. If, if, if the trumpet call is not clear and has got, not got a meaning to it and, and someone... Uh, blows the trumpet, the army needs to know whether to attack or to retreat. Uh, There needs to be some distinction, some information, some intelligibility. Same as speech. To speak with with no one understanding and not being able to understand what you're saying, you may as well be speaking into the air. It's meaningless. Same with languages. All languages have inherent meaning, but if we don't understand them, then then we're a foreigner, an outsider to each other. The point of all this is is there needs to be intelligibility when it comes to speaking and addressing the church. And the goal is clear from verse 12. Try to excel in the gifts that actually help the church, that actually build the church up. And so Paul continues, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray 
that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone say, who is now in, put in the position of an inquirer, say amen to your thanksgiving since they don't know what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. So Paul says when, when, when we pray in a tongue, like when he prays in a tongue without interpretation or if it's all take over, it's just in his spirit, he says we need to use our minds and bring intelligibility to that in the church. If I were to give thanks to God, that's great for me, but what about the other people listening in? How does that help other people? The point of the gifts is to build up the church. And that's why Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I'd rather speak in five intelligible words than to instruct others, sorry, to instruct others than a thousand words, 10,000 words in a tongue. His, His priority is obvious. We want to use gifts in a way that actually build up the church, build up the church. And so Paul moves on to, well, how can we use our gifts in a mature way? Uh, Verse 20 uh, through to 25, he says, Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. So in regard to evil, be infants. Like, it's, it's, you know, be bad at being evil. That's a good thing to be. Uh, But when it comes to to, uh, building up the church, like, let's be good at that. Let's think like adults. In the law, it is written, written, verse 21, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to the people. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. And here we reach what I think is one of the most confusing uh, verses or short passages in the Bible. Because Paul says, tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. Well, that makes sense in reading that, but then the evidence that Paul gives suggests the opposite. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquires or unbelievers come in, will they not say you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone's prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their heart are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. From that, it sounds like tongues are a sign for believers, not for unbelievers, because it just seems like they're not helpful for unbelievers. How, what is Paul talking about? What's, what's he saying? And one way to, to think about this, understand this, is when Paul talks about a sign, he's not necessarily talking about a positive sign. He could be referring to a sign as a negative thing, just like Jesus as the cornerstone is a great thing for Christian, but it's a stumbling block for those who don't believe. Tongues as a sign in a public setting is, is an exclusive act. It, 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 um, it's a sign of, uh, that, that tells other people that you, you don't belong. If you can't do this among us, if we're all speaking in tongues and there's people over here who can't, it's telling those people you, you're, you don't belong here. You're not part of this group, this inner circle. It's exclusive and unhelpful and immature, denies the unity and the diversity of the body. 
Whereas prophecy is inclusive. It speaks to everyone as though they belong. Because it invites people to come and hear the word of God, to hear the voice of God. So with it, if we think about it, without interpretation, tongues are exclusive, but prophecy is inclusive. And as people come and hear people prophesy, hear people saying to the church what God is telling them, being obedient to, to the message that God brings to the church, people are cut to the heart. They're convicted of their sin, and they, were, they return to worshiping God. It's a powerful, powerful um, passage. If an unbeliever and choir comes in while everyone's prophesying, they're convicted of sin, brought under judge by all, and the secrets of their heart are laid bare. So they fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. And I wonder as we think about, you know, our public gathering and the, the kind of the public voice that we have in society, but also in, in our own community, are we afraid of speaking prophetically to address uh, the corrupt nature of our hearts, to actually convict people of sin? Because it's offensive. Uh, because people won't like us talking about that. And so we only preach God's love, but never mention His judgment. And we're, we're missing the message of the gospel. We're missing the, the message of the cross. Because the message of a cross is an offensive message. The message of the cross is that we all deserve to be there. We, we're all sinners. We're, we all, all of us, in spite of God's love for us, we've positioned ourselves away from God, away from Jesus. But the message of the cross is even though we've positioned ourselves away from Him, He loves us so much that He came down and He, he, he took on what we deserve. He died and rose again to forgive us of sins and to bring us new life. And as we, if we were to prophetically proclaim that truth, that is the message that God has given us to take to the world, to make disciples of Jesus. And as we prophetically proclaim that message to the world, people will be cut to their heart. There will be opposition. There will be all kinds of responses. But God's word is living and active and powerful. People will be cut to the heart. They'll, they'll be convicted of their sin, the state of their own heart. It will be open and laid bare, and they'll be forgiven. They'll, be, they'll recognize God's heart for them and his love for them. And they will return to him in worship. That is the prophetic message God has given the church for us to share, to bring people into his kingdom. Paul uh, continues uh, on uh, to talk about the order of public worship. And then and in verse 20, he says, what shall we say then, brothers and sisters? So when, what are we going to do with this? How do we apply this in our context? And he, um, he kind of like unpacks in the Corinthian context, how do they work this self out practically and give some pretty clear instructions of how to use these gifts in their church context. 
He says, when you come together, each of you have, has a hymn or word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so the church may be built up. Like, everyone's got something to bring. Everyone uh, has value. Everyone matters and is something to bring into the gathering, into the church, to build each other up. But Paul says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at most three, uh, should speak at a t- should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God, or speak to themselves and to God. So that's the instructions for tongues. Uh, two or three should, should speak or can speak, but only with interpretations. There's restrictions there. Uh, saying uh, similar with prophets, there's restrictions. Two or three prophets should speak, and others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first pe- uh, speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirit of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So with prophets, similarly, there are restrictions. There's two or three at a time. Uh, there, there needs to be a, a diversity of voices. Um, it needs to be tested that those who, who prophesy what they say should be weighed. And the prophets need to know when to stop. And I'll s- stop eventually. But there's order. There's restrictions to the use of gifts so that they can be used in a way that build up the church, that benefits the church. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Now, at this point, Paul uh, transitioned to, an, to another section that is really confusing, is really confronting, and really hard to understand. Uh, but we believe all Scripture is God-breathed, so we're going to uh, look at it anyway. Uh, Paul, in verse 34, says, Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Now, I'm sorry for how that sounds. (laughs) And I'm sorry for how that comes across. And that is a tough passage. Uh, And and look, we don't have enough time to go to give it justice tonight. Uh, but I would encourage you to, to, a few weeks back, Mike Lamey preached on uh, the first part of chapter 11, address a very similar issue. So it would be really helpful uh, to help us understand this. But there's one thing, well, one thing that's clear at Hills Baptist, we don't take a, a very literal wooden interpretation of this. We allow women to speak in the church, like, obviously, because we've had multiple already. Um, uh, but also Paul clearly... Uh, doesn't have a universal no women speaking in church rule because in back in chapter 11, he has instructions for women to pray and to prophesy. So clearly, this is not a, a universal no women can speak ever instruction. So there must be something else going on. And there must be something uh, specific to the context of the Corinthians uh, that we're not 100% clear on. And there's a, there's a few options and we can really only speculate 
And uh, one, one option, is it related to the testing that what, what's happening is, is women are challenging uh, the prophecies of the men and, and potentially the women are challenging the prophecies of their husbands, uh, raising up, speaking up against it, and that's bringing dishonor on their husband in that church context. And so Paul says, don't speak up in church, but ask and address them at home. Or another option is it's addressing a specific problem in the Corinthian uh, temples and pagan temples to other gods. Uh, the the female priests and the the prostitutes and the female prophets would um, worship those other idols by babbling and, and static speech and and just speaking on and on and on in like quite um, uh, over the top static speech. And so Paul says, well, that's not helpful or appropriate in a Christian gathering. So there must be order. So he instructs the women to remain silent in that context. Whichever the case it may be, uh, this is the third of three examples of Paul asking the church to restrict the use of gifts. Now, tongues are not to be used if there's no interpreter. That's a restriction. Prophecy, uh, uh, you know, someone who's bringing a prophecy is restricted when, when it's time for someone else to stand up. And women uh, are, are to be restricted when it's not appropriate, again, in the Corinthian context. Uh, but there's this, there's this essence of the gifts that God has given us for the, for the benefit of the church, for the growth of the church, to glorify God. There's a place for them to be restricted, to be restrained, that they might be used in a helpful, uplifting, encouraging way. Last week's message was, let's use God's gifts that he's given us for the building up of the church. And part of this week's message is, we need to restrict the use of our gifts so that they'll be used helpfully to build up the church. And what Paul is really talking about is church order and church structure. Far from suggesting that that if there's order, if there's all these structures and processes and policies, that that just restricts the spirit and and makes things boring and unhelpful. Well, actually, those things provide a medium for the expression of love and respect for others through the use of our gifts. That we use self-discipline and self-restraint, or even that's there's structures in the church that we use in order to love each other better and helpfully. Now, let's step away from tongues and prophecy for a moment. But this, this idea of restricting gifts for the benefit of the church, how might this work out for us in our context? One thing is, is you know, I, I, I admit I've got the gift of teaching, but I'm not going to be preaching every week. Uh, certainly, I could. It would be a lot of work. But uh, there's, there's a place to have other voices to come and to share, to share from perspectives I could never understand or appreciate or be able to communicate. And so I restrict my gift to allow for others to, to come and to preach and to share. You know, the different things we, we might be involved in, uh, in church or at home or, or whatever, let's, let's not do those things alone. Like t- doing it all by ourselves so we can we can take all the glory and say, look what I've done. But actually, Doing things together, sharing the load, sharing the responsibility. Another thing is, is as a church, we do have policies and structures and leadership. You know, we submit to that authority. 
and those structures that have been instituted by the leadership. And look, we're still figuring it out. But we, we do that so that we might maintain order in the church. Because God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. But of peace. Now, to finish up the sermon today, Paul has given instructions for the use of tongues and the use of prophecy. And I feel it's appropriate that we actually open up a space for people to bring a tongue to share and then it be interpreted, or a prophecy, a message from God to the church at this time. We did this this, this morning. It was, it was powerful. We didn't have any tongues, but we had um, some powerful prophecies uh, and insight and, and helpful, um, helpful things that built up the church. But I, I, I just want to be obedient to Scripture and open up this space to allow for someone to bring a tongue and if that happens, either that person can, can interpret it and share what has been said or will we'll ask for someone else to potentially interpret it. And if that doesn't happen, that's okay. We, we, just, won't, we, we just don't need any, to make anything of that. But also bring the opportunity if anyone has something they feel like God is saying to bring to the church, to build the church up, to build the church up and, and, and bring a prophecy to encourage uh, to strengthen us, to comfort us, to convict us. Like, I want to provide a space to do that. So let's take five minutes or so, and, and maybe we'll restrict it to two or three. This morning we did four, and look, I think that's okay. <laughs> and I'll provide a space. If someone has a tongue or a prophecy, let's bring it to the church and build each other up. Hi there. A few of you know me. My name's Hines. I've been coming for a few weeks. Um, I just felt what I understand about the last uh, topic of women speaking up, speaking up in the church. In a very historical context, understand that men are the head of the house or were the head of the house and were the voice of the house. So I understand that last section as in an orderly way that the house would speak in the church and then just in a historical setting, the man being the voice of the house that it would be discussed in the house and brought forward as one cohesive message from that house to the church. So that's how I interpreted that. And just to clarify that, you're suggesting that's changed now? Yeah.
Hello. <laughs> I'm not sure if this is a prophecy or not, um, but I just really felt to share, um, particularly with you young adults, um, that um, many of the older folk in this church have a real heart for you. Um, we love you. We love seeing you growing in Christ. And I know I've shared this here before. Um, but I, we, it gives us great joy, those of us who are getting to know you better. Um, yeah, it's just such a blessing to see you growing in Christ and um, coming to know the Heavenly Father more and more. And so I just encourage you today to keep doing that, keep walking the walk, because um, when I see the world today, goodness me, there's so much that comes against you that really didn't when I was your age. Um, it was probably all still there, but it was hidden away more, I'm sure. Um, but it's just so out there today, just just a lot of evil. It really is. And you must be seeing that, you know, as you go, as you study, as you work. Um, but, yes, yeah, so I, I encourage you to keep walking the walk, keep coming to Jesus. Um, if, you, if you feel polluted at the end of the day for whatever reason, come to him. He's waiting to wash your feet again, to cleanse you. Um, yeah, because it's, you know, keep running the race, as Paul said. Um, and, you know, I pray for you often that you will all stand firm and not fall away from him. folks. Uh, I'd just like to share something that God showed me a bit over a year ago. I, it was about, I want to say March last year, before I had started coming to this, this community. Um, and I was driving through the hills, just, uh, just driving to drive because I had a lot of free time. And I enjoyed that. Um, it was a habit that is a lot more expensive these days. <laughs> but as I was coming in uh, on the, the road sort of into Aldgate, just, just passing through, and I saw this uh, kookaburra flew across the road in front of me. Um, and just, just in the way that it flew, in that moment, I felt God saying, this is my land. This is my land that I created, um, that I worked over, that I labored on um and this is where my work is done and then like as an and then like on the left it was like old gate sign to enter the town um which i was like oh okay um, i think it was actually the church of christ sign so <laughs> but yeah i think i think that's <laughs> yeah they're good i think i don't know i don't really know any of them uh but what God was saying through that was just that his work isn't done just in foreign places. He, he, he didn't labor over just like the amazing, you know, Grand Canyon or the, the Mount Everest or these things. Just in, in the nature here, you can see God's handiwork. And this church has a role in his kingdom. Uh, this area is, is close to his heart as much as any other. Um, and 
he walked here before any humans did. Um, in the creation of the world, he, he built this place. And it's our duty to bring his love and bring his kingdom here. This is definitely random, but I, um, I don't know, as you were like playing Amazing Grace, like I just felt to sing it <laughs> and um, maybe it'll be a tongue, who knows, but <laughs> yeah, so let me choose a good key so I don't get too high. <laughs> Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieves. How precious did that grace appear The hour I first believed My chains are gone I've been set free My God, my Savior has ransomed me beautiful um as soon as you said that i um i just had this sorry the has anyone got a word um just in my heart just sunk so deep of like you are children of light we are children of light pure light the light that this dark and broken world <laughs> wasn't emotional before <laughs> so desperately needs and I just remember God saying that to me a year ago when I was in a really dark situation with someone a person who I was sitting with and they were just in total darkness and I just remember thinking wow there just is so much darkness here and so much pain and I just remember sitting there feeling so helpless and being like there's nothing I can do. There's nothing that I can do to make this person's situation any better. It actually feels helpless and so dark. And God just was like, Abby, you are a light. That's exactly what this situation needs. And I just remember thinking, I just thought about it and was like, Jesus is in us. He is the light of this world. And that is what we bring into darkness. And so if you're in a situation and you're like, wow, this is so dark and I don't know what to do here, just remember that you are the light because you have Jesus in you and get to know who he is. Get to know the light that is inside us because that's what we need. 
And when people say you just need Jesus, and that feels like such a distant concept, like what does that mean? Remember who he says he is, that he is the truth. He is the way and he is the life. Three things that are so distorted in this world. What is truth? What is the way? And there's just death everywhere that we look. So get to know Jesus because he is the answer to this broken world. Last chance. I think I, I suspect we might do something like this a bit more often in the future. Why don't we pray and I'll invite the band up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and, uh, and Paul and his instructions and for uh, spiritual gifts, the gifts you give us to bring you glory and to, to serve and to use to build up your church and to serve on your mission. Lord, we thank you for uh, uh, the messages you have given uh, that has been shared tonight. Uh, Lord, we pray we would, we would listen to what you have to say and everything, Lord, may we test against Scripture, but Lord, let, let's be a, a listening church, open uh, to uh, what you might do uh, through us. But Lord, we thank you um, for what you are doing through this church, the way you are working uh, through Hohedia, how you're working through the Moore Street dinners, how you're wor- working to bring light to dark places through your people. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to equip us through your Holy Spirit that we might do your work in this world and help us to do that together, help us to encourage one another, help us to restrict our gifts where that's necessary and help us to figure out uh, what that might mean for us. And through all this, Lord, we pray that we would work to bring you glory, that the our lives and our the words we use and um, the, our attitude to things and just our our character and nature would just point to who you are and and lead people into your kingdom for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.